Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I am not your usual host, Steve Saipa. I'm Lucas Fajos. Today I'm joined by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing? We're good, I think. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Chilling. Oh, we miss you, Steve. Doing this is hard. Do you think it's such an easy job when you listen in, and then the second you hit record and start the podcast, you just forget how to speak? It's amazing. <laughs> um. Anyway... The one benefit of Steve not being here is that I can once again submit subject you guys and the listeners to video game related promote extend trade. So on that note, uh, we're going to do promote extend trade Bioware RPGs, and there are three main franchises in that vein. First one being Mass Effect, second being Dragon Age, and third being Knights of the Old Republic. And if you want to extend Knights of the Old Republic to include the MMO, that's fine too. Uh, I think we all know what my answer to this is, so I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> it's hard because I don't want to trade any of the three. Mm. Like, I think I, because I, I play a lot of, I think Dragon Age is the worst, like, because two was kind of bad and like Inquisition was up and down. So I'm trading that one, but I still like the series, you know? Like, it's still a series I played a lot of and I really enjoyed. It's just, I'm probably promoting mass effect and extending kotor because i never played the mmo which i probably should but Mm -hmm. so just that not having that knowledge and also 
Mass Effect's so good. So, <laughs> Ken? I'm going to defer to the group. Um, I'm not really a video game person. I don't think I've played any of these games. Oh, um, Ken, you make so. sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's fine. This this is that's usually my answer when we do yep. rest of the few times. This, this is wrestling. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, we do know that Steve's that. answer is uh, Kodor above all else. Not exactly surprising given his status as an old school Star Wars dude. Um, and to the surprise of no one, Mass Effect is far and away the best answer here for me. <laughs> um, and I love Legendary Edition, right? Yes. Oh my God. I've it's like taken over my life the past week and a half or so. I'm getting up to the suicide mission on two now. Oh man, it's so good. It's so good. Um, they are of course remaking Kodor in the next couple years, so that'll be fun too. I'm looking forward to that. Yes. Yes. Um, regarding Dragon Age, though, like Dragon Age is it's certainly not bad. I, I won't disagree with your assessment there. I just feel like there are. It doesn't feel like there are other good space RPGs to the level of Mass Effect. Yeah. But there are several good fantasy-themed RPGs, whether that's I agree with that. The Witcher, Skyrim. To, I mean, it's a different flavor, but there are other... It's not as much of a standout to me, I guess. There's there's saying. other ways to get that, to scratch that itch. But right. I haven't found a game yet that scratches the itch like Mass Effect does. Exactly. Like, that level of detail and everything. I just, mm-hmm. I haven't I been able to. That was kind of what Bethesda was, uh, eh, not really, because even the, the Outer Worlds was still not quite the same, but yeah. That was closer to Fallout for me. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it was space Fallout. Yeah, I really liked it. Like, I had a lot of fun with it for what it was, but mm. like, it wasn't like the game of the year or anything, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time with it quite a lot but i think that's going to be a game where the sequel comes out and i'm like oh this is way better than the first one because they figured out how to like really take ne- the next steps forward for that right for game. yeah I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to because i thought the first one was good but flawed so yes i agree anyway now that i've gotten my uh video game sh- uh, agenda filled for the podcast we'll move on to the actual baseball related agenda so if you tuned out for the last five minutes sorry <laughs> welcome back um so we'll start by going over the afl stats from the last week which is to say all the afl games so far the mets sent a small pool of guys brett Beatty, carlos cortez hayden sanger uh, a couple pitchers garrison bryant brian matoyer and colin holderman uh, I'll do the pitchers first because they're less interesting. Garrison Bryant threw two innings, struck out two, walked one, allowed one run. Brian Mator, uh tossed one inning, struck out one, walked one, allowed a run. And Colin Holderman tossed one inning, struck out one, walked none, didn't allow a run. Uh, I sure. think we've discussed this a couple times leading up to the AFL or at various points over the history of this podcast about how Pitching in the AFL is largely meaningless. Yeah, it's it's a they just played a whole season and also it's on the surface of Mars. So <laughs> <laughs> like I don't really care almost like just don't get absolutely destroyed every time out and you're good. Yeah, I mean, and as we all know, at this point, it's not even just that the balls fly forever. It's that they move differently in, in this sort of environment. So mm-hmm. Assessing anything is going to be hard. 
it's a little I do find it a little odd that they sent a couple guys that are rule five eligible. Perhaps that's an indication that they don't care if they get picked, but at the same time, as we'll discuss later, Brian Matoyer is probably someone they should care about a little bit. I mean I'd add him. I'm I'm a fan of his. Yeah. I, I well, we'll, the 40. we'll get to Matoyer in a bit yeah. for sure. Um yeah, but it's interesting that they'd send him to a showcase league uh mm-hmm. if they were trying to sneak him through. On to the hitters, which is definitely the more interesting pool. Um, let's get Hayden Sanger out of the way first. He hasn't been playing a ton because, I mean, he's definitely a, a semi-interesting prospect in his own right, but uh, one of the best catching prospects in baseball is on the same AFL team and Marco Feliciano. So uh, Sanger's been mostly the backup. He's hitting 200 with a 553 OPS. I think I can read my own handwriting. Um <laughs> The two guys who have been playing more, uh, Carlos Cortez and Brett Beatty. Cortez is hitting 429 with a 1270 OPS with no extra base hits, assuming I collated the box scores correctly. And Brett Beatty is, you know, just doing his thing, hitting 500 with a OPS of almost 1500. He's got a triple and two doubles, a whole bunch of singles. Uh, he posted some very impressive exit velos off Mackenzie Gore who is definitely not the prospect he once was, but it's fun to talk about. Um, so, uh, Brett Beatty, good at hitting. He's too good for that league. <laughs> Can confirm. Now, I will, I will raise one issue that I've seen a couple of the, you know, professional Twitter prospect guys point out. Um, he's been hitting a lot of ground balls in the AFL. Um, I think he, there was even a comment he made about not being particularly concerned about his ground ball rate. And I think he's hit more ground balls in the Myers than you'd like. Um, given, given those stats and what seems to be a, um, I don't want to imply that he's lazy or anything, but like a disinterest in changing that approach. Does that concern you at all? When we're talking about a guy who we're imagining is going to be a power threat down the line, if he's still hitting too many ground balls and isn't inclined to change that. I just, I, I don't know how often even the top, like I know the launch angle stuff still exists, but there's still a lot of guys who don't care, you know, and they just hit the ball like, and also he doesn't have to be like that in order to be good. Like he's going to hit his home runs. As long as they're, he's making solid contact right now, just let him rock, you know, like asking a 20 year old kid about his ground ball rate. He's going to be like, I don't care, you know, <laughs> it's just how kids are. Yeah. Like if, if the performance wasn't there, maybe, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. He's literally like always done his hit. <laughs> so. And like he slugged a bunch in the minors, too. It's not like he did yeah. hit the ball. In the ground. Especially the powers there. Like, I care yeah. way less about things like that than I, I do like strikeout rate. That's that's certainly a, a fair point. Absolutely. I think I'd be more worried if he was like Jake Mangaming the baseball than like just not hitting for any power at all. You know, I mean, the weird thing that he is that he almost has a uh, Mangum light approach, right? Like he hits a, a decent amount of ground balls and goes to the opposite field. It's just when he goes to the opposite field, it carries for 450 <laughs> yeah. feet. And that's a good thing. You know what I mean? So that's fine. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I think I think at some point down the line. There may be a uh, reckoning is too uh, dire a term. I, I think there's going to need to be an adjustment at some point. Uh, but that's not 
something I'm like, uh, yes, panicking about. I know exactly. I think this is a problem when he gets to the majors and you, yep. he gets more. Uh, hopefully, if the Mets are still getting better analytically by then, they, he gets a more focused approach. Well, that, that was going to be my next question: Is I'm are are we worried that this might be a situation of a a guy who clearly has a lot of natural talent and performs in the minors, um, but then gets to the majors and, and doesn't quite click right away. And, and really, we've seen some major league teams succeed at fixing that uh, situation and others, much like the Mets, failing miserably. Yeah, the Mets are a mixed bag with it. Like, they completely made Alonzo swing new when he's one mm-hmm. of the best power hitters in the league. And then they made... Andres Jimenez tried to do the same thing <laughs> and that and like why don't, don't don't do that you know but like and yeah that was a mistake and Rosario never really popped. it seems it seems like at least in recent history they've had more success changing things wholesale on the minor in the minors as opposed to making tweaks once a guy hits the majors right like yes. maybe you talk about I mean Alonso's definitely a success story but they fixed him in the minors oh yeah they, Ahmed, they changed some stuff in when he was from Florida to Brooklyn. Like Right. Whereas a guy like maybe Ahmed Rosario or something, they never seem to make any real adjustments at the majors. We're like, yeah, hey, you're up here in the big leagues. Figure it out. Yeah. I also think you have to read the room on the prospect. Like, mm-hmm. if you see a guy who looks like Andres Jimenez, you don't try to make him a power hitter. You know, like Don't make like, a six-foot, 150-pound middle yeah. infielder stomp and lift. That's a bold idea. Yeah, like, it sounds, like, very obvious, but also teams don't do— It's the same thing, like, with the Sonny Gray stuff with the Yankees. I think about that a lot. When he was terrible because they made him throw his worst pitch. And he was like, but I don't throw a good slider or whatever. I think it was a slider. And they were like, nah, but we throw sliders. But he was like, mine's bad. And, like— that that uniformity is a bad thing, you know. Like, like you need to also know what your players are good and bad at, and the Mets need to see as Beatty progresses because he's still this is his first full season. Like, we don't have to make sweeping declarations either way. It's not like he's knocking on the door next year. Like, he still needs some time. And there's a world where he is knocking. I mean, he there's a world where he oh, does yeah. knock down the door next year, and I hope we live in that world, but. But I'm saying, as we sit here today, I'm not penciling him in to play next year on the Mets. No, no, no. Brett Bates things... should not stand in the way of the Mets signing Chris Bryant. Yes, because, again, you could do other things with those players, of, of course. It's, things either went amazingly or horribly if he's in the majors next year. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing the Mets. Yeah. Which one of those is more likely? Um, I just want to say, like... Uh, I'm looking at the leaderboard for ground ball percentage uh, in the big leagues this year. Some pretty good names are around that round, that that range. Like Juan Soto grounded, uh, hit the ball on the ground like 53% of, of the time. Really? Okay, that that's surprising, that's surprising. to me, honestly. Um, Starling Marte's up there, 54.8. Yeah. Tim Anderson makes sense. Yeah, yeah Tim Anderson makes sense. Anderson so, like, and Marte oh, definitely both there. make sense. Uh, being Alex, up there is surprising. Alex, I feel like all he does so, is hit levels. Is that almost exactly 50%? Um, yeah, so, like, it just has to work. I don't know. No, I mean... I'm worried about it. Look, if Juan Soto... On the one hand, if Juan Soto does it, how bad could it be? On the other hand... <laughs> it's Juan Soto. Doing, trying to be Juan Soto is probably not a good idea for most prospects. Could you imagine you walk into your prospect camp and they're like, 
Yeah, everyone's so dancing to, in the like, box. Bond, yeah, everyone. You're going to be a Juan Soto type player. Like, no, I'm, not, I'm sorry. See that guy? <laughs> you're going to be him. <laughs> <laughs> just do Juan Soto things. Just swing at. Just, just, just have be Juan Soto. It's not yeah. that hard. Uh, uh, someone hire Ken to be a director of player development. I think the. Uh, Someone had a post up on like the baseball hiring website. I think it might be the Orioles. Yeah, I think it was the or Orioles. the Reds for like director of player development. Hire Ken. He's got great ideas. Yeah, be like Juan Soto. Just it's, be it's Juan one. Soto. Not <laughs> like Juan Soto. Be Juan Soto. <laughs> I mean, but the best thing about Juan Soto, and uh, weirdly to to loop this back, I think this is a skill that Beatty has or will have to. An extent, not the extent Monsoto has. Of course, yeah. But that that wonderful graph of fastballs on the edge, upper edge of the zone, where he has like a hundred percent correct rate in terms of swing versus non-swing, just doesn't yes. swing yes. at anything Special. that's even slightly out of the strike zone. It's <sighs> it's just I don't know how anyone does that. Like even dudes like Nimmo, who aren't obviously the hitter as Juan Soto is like mm-hmm. that to ball wise, but the eye stuff like. I don't know how you do that with the level, how fast pitches are. Yeah. Like Soto takes some pitches and I'm just like, no way. Like no, no way he did that on purpose, but he no. did. The same thing with like Joey Votto and yeah. Brandon Nimmo. It's like, what, what are you seeing that made you say, nah? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Call it, call it money ball syndrome, but I have a sucker for, I'm, I'm a sucker for those kind of guys. Oh, we have breaking yeah. news about the minor leagues, by the way. Okay, go ahead because oh, I Jeff's, it, it's Passan, right, or Passan? Jeff Passan. I always thought Passan. it was Passan, but me too. But anyway, you know who he is. Breaking: Major League Baseball teams will provide housing for minor league baseball players starting in 2022. Wow! Yep, Dope. that's huge. Yep, very nice. Well then, um, that's yeah. good because I didn't want to talk more about Carlos Cortez anyway. Um, <laughs> Cortez, if I didn't say it already, is hitting 429, 1270. has no extra base hits. He's played two games. Moving on. Um, uh, that's absolutely incredible. In, in mid-September, according to lead sources, owners from the league's 30 teams agreed unanimously to, to a plan that would provide housing for minor league players. Whether they will offer stipends that will recover housing or provide the lodging itself is not yet decided. But, like, it's housing for minor leaguers. Yeah, I don't... To me, it's always made more sense to almost have, like, a dormitory system yeah the the royals do that for one of their minor league teams they were building like a hotel with like a big royals logo yeah. on i mean and that absolutely I mean, that yeah, makes sense no, like couldn't you just like buy a best western or something yeah just and yeah. put be, like, your branding there. all over yeah. it <laughs> and then it's like oh that that's where the mess lives like cool you know yep and then then maybe give guys an option to opt out of it if they're older and want a stipend to live on their own or something. Yeah, I'm sure like some 30 year old who's in yeah. Syracuse doesn't want to live at the hotel because if they're a former major leaguer, they have the money to do so. But mm-hmm. you could still give them a stipend anyway because yep. being nice about it. But but like the details, I, I mean, we could sweat. Oh, I'm sure there'll be minor details to criticize in this and I'd like to see the whole story about how much they're actually providing in terms of stipends, but no, definitely good news and something that's beyond overdue. For sure. Um, not something I think any of us expected to see either. No, I expected this to be the opposite, and they the owners fighting against it because they just cheap. <laughs> oh, man. Um, 
I guess uh, I guess uh, Steve looked into it and then yelled at all the other owners or something like that. Let's. Get... <laughs> no, that did not happen. Uh, that decidedly certain. did not happen. But yeah, that definitely did not happen. I. It is nice that all thirty teams just decided to do this. Like I know it's very late here, and like I'm not gonna like pat them on the back for making a decision they should have done years ago. But yeah, the obvious choice. Yeah, but it's still nice to see like no one was like like. <laughs> The Mets owner was like, no, Steve Cohen said, no, I hate this. But mm-hmm. everyone said, yes, so I have to do it. Like everyone just kind of agreed that the grift has been exposed and it's time. <laughs> basically. We, we, we've gone over the math several times. Larger outlets have covered such math in more detail. It's a laughably small uh, amount of money for major league teams. Yeah. It's like one player. Yeah. Like it's less than Alejandro Diaz money. Yeah. <laughs> one metric Alejandro Diaz. The, the mess could do the adding depth tweet but it's the, the whole minor leagues yeah absolutely um now we've also talked about all the other uh services educational services uh language financial etc that should be provided and i i certainly hope that the various organizations and people who have been vocal about this continue pushing um yeah. i mean shout out uh what is that? What great Twitter account? The minor league advocates the Twitter. Advocates for minor. They, they're mentioned in the in the in the article. That's um, abs- That's. I mean, that's they did fun. incredible work. They deserve a lot of credit. Um, and and we should also give credit to uh the the small handful of major leaguers who uh, maybe not vocally stood up and said something, but at least lent their support. Right, like Andrew McCutcheon putting on the. Live Strong bracelet or whatever the hell it was. Oh, it was um, like a, a fair play or something like that. Fair I ball or something. Yeah. Um, and and Louis Rojas for giving an honest answer in a press conference about this in a in a spot where I'm sure many managers might have taken the easier road out and and said not not my not my uh, purview, not my mm-hmm. place to comment on that and. Or we did it, so do you. Like, I think Adam Eaton said something to that effect. Oh, my God. He, he was kind of like, well, I did it, and that's what happens. And it's like, well, that's not what it should be. You like Adam Eaton, man. Not very surprising. Retire. But... <laughs> he, he was on the White Sox this year, right? And then on the Angels, they cut him, like, midway through the season. The White Sox, he was terrible in Chicago, and they cut him. Let's see how bad terrible was. Ooh, oh, boy, you're not yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. It was real bad. They tried to make him like their number two hitter for months, and he was just like horrible. Oh. The Tony La Russa experience. Mm-hmm. It was extremely. <laughs> it's extremely. This guy's a two hitter, and it's like for no reason at all. Like there's no, and he hit like a hundred. <laughs> Adam Eaton hit two hundred one, two eighty two, yeah. three twenty seven on the season. For seven, yeah. that's a seventy weighted negative point three war in half a season. That's wild. <laughs> that's real bad. So anyway, glad we got some breaking news because we were definitely this is definitely a, a um, light time of the year for minor league content. Um, yeah, there's not much until the season's over and we could start like talking. About, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, this is welcome news, and I'm sure we'll have a deeper discussion in the coming weeks once we've gotten more details and had some time to digest. Mm-hmm. For sure. Okay, and now let's move on to our uh, all-organization team. I know last week we talked about the actual all-stars from the Mets system uh, in terms of their respective leagues. 
Um, but now, because we like pulling our hair out and staring way too long at rosters in a very depleted farm, we decided to put together our, our all-organizational teams. Uh, so we have a first team and a second team. I'll read through the, all the names first, and then we'll talk about some of them. Uh, first team, definitely some obvious candidates here. Catcher Francisco Alvarez, first base Mark Vientos. I know that's cheating a little bit. Deal with it. I'll give it to uh, Second base Jose Peroza. Third base Brett Beatty. Shortstop Ronnie Mauricio. Outfield Carlos Cortez, Khalil Lee, and Jake Mangum. Uh, starting pitcher Tyler McGill. And relief pitcher Eric Orzi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, second team, catcher Hayden Sanger. First baseman, David Thompson. Yes, that was the best <laughs> option. Second baseman, Luke Ritter. Third baseman, Jalen Palmer. Shortstop, Kevin Kendall. Outfielder, Alex Ramirez. Outfielder, Mason Williams. And then finally, Mark Payton in the outfield. Starting That's, pitcher, yeah. JT Ginn. And relief pitcher, Brian Matoyer. So I think we've discussed... Beatty, Alvarez, Mauricio, even Cortez to death at this point. Uh, oh, and Vientos, of course. So we should talk a little bit about some of these other names. Uh, Jose Peroza is first up here. I think he's had maybe the most outside of the top guys. He improved his stock the most among the Mets uh, uh, farmhands this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, started the year in St. Lucie. Where he hit, I had this up earlier. Here it is: 274, 404, 442, uh, with a 14% walks, 24% strikeouts. That's a 136 weighted. Then moved up to uh, Brooklyn. Didn't hit quite as well there in 30 in 40 games: 218, 293, 383. But that was his uh, first real taste of the level, and it was interesting enough to be uh, a prospect of note in a rather thin system. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. You guys have any strong thoughts on Jose Peroza? I'm just glad that Jose Peraza will no longer be in the system <laughs> next year, or presumably will not be in the system next year. Uh, I also know bro. that uh, I also played. like that they're complete opposites. Like, yes, yes, they don't look alike. They don't play alike. There's nothing really similar to each other outside of their name, and it's hysterical to me. <laughs> it's, it's extremely. Uh, there, I mean, there. It's not even like Jose Peraza is old and Peraza's young. Peraza's only like what twenty six or something. Yeah, something like that. He's he's sneaky young. Where I thought he was like thirty two when the Mets signed him. Yep. Just, yep. He feels like someone who's been around forever, but he was only on the Reds for a little bit and only started that like one season. But, he is twenty seven. Yeah. So Peraza's an uh, interesting guy. I know I listed him as a second baseman here again. 
I'm stretching things a bit. He played almost entirely third base this season. Short, stocky, I think is the best way yes. to put it. Yes, he is. He has some pop, has some... He has a good display. eye. Yeah, he has a good eye. Didn't display great bat-to-ball skills in Brooklyn, but I'm somewhat willing to give him a pass after uh, basically not seeing... Like, he got 33 games of low A in 2019, but that's a very small taste of uh, uh, full-season ball. And then after a whole 2020 layoff, I'm not, I'm not going to fault him too much for a high strikeout rate in his first taste of high A. Yeah, I mean, it is what it like. I, I, I never really ding guys for um when they move around like that a lot, because that's also like a lot of life stuff happening to these guys at the same time. That's a very fair point, yeah. especially moving. I mean, I wonder so we should actually look into this down the line if having a. Uh, more let's let's phrase it this way a more important develop term in terms of development uh stationed in brooklyn is a benefit or not long term like i don't know if the culture shock of landing in the city and also making a fairly significant jump in opposition yeah. talent yeah. uh affects guys some way but uh we'll have to see over the long haul but i mean brooklyn used to be not as important as a developmental team it's a big deal. Like the Mets made it to be a big deal. Like it's one of their bigger deal places now, mm-hmm. which is cool for me because I'm very close to it. But also, like you're right, it's it. It always I always found it odd when people were like, "Oh, well, he struggled when he moves up." It's like, yeah, well, yeah, he moves from Florida to Brooklyn in the middle of a season with mm-hmm. not a lot of money. Talking about the money stuff from before and like meeting a whole new team. Like that's a lot of that's a lot of like life shock. And then oh, you have to play baseball now. You know, against like, the best competition you've ever seen. Yeah. And on top of that, it's hard for dudes when you're there the whole year because you're facing the best competition I've ever seen if he moved up. So I'll give him a pass for that. He was good in St. Lucie. So. Yeah, I don't uh, – he'll – I'm trying to do this quickly in my head. He's got a decent chance to make the top 10, again, because the system is so weak. Yeah, he does. Uh, <laughs> and that's – that's definite. Let, let's put it this way. That's more a reflection of the quality of the system than his status as a burgeoning top prospect. But he is interesting. Yeah, that's the whole top the uh, top twenty five stuff we were talking about recently. That yeah. like they're not all created equal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, going through the rest of the first team, we've talked about Beatty, Mauricio Cortez. We had a fairly long discussion about Khalil Lee last week or the week before. I really like Khalil Lee. Uh, still not penciling him in to start in the outfield next year. We've also talked about Jake Mangum a lot, uh, but I, I think having a more definitive discussion here would be interesting. What do we think his future actually is? Is he just a bench guy, or does he actually have a chance to be a Adam Eaton-esque contributor, albeit one with better opinions. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Jake Mangum very famously on his way out the door at uh, Mississippi State. Yes. Someone help. Yeah, thank you. I knew it was one of those schools. Yes. Um, said that he made some very strong and correct comments about paying college athletes. So I assume he'd also very much be in favor of better minor league pay. Yeah, I was honestly, when they, when, I know the type of player he was when they drafted him, and then I saw that I was like, I don't even care. Cool, get him in yep. the get him in the system. <laughs> yep. Yep. I don't. Know. I think he's probably like a fourth outfielder type, maybe like Albert Almora, um, but that could be like usable. Like that's a guy you need sometimes. 
maybe a little bit better of a hitter, but I just he doesn't have a lot of pop even now. Like even his most talking about he had seven home runs this year, and that's literally like a career (laughs) high since like high school. Like (laughs) (laughs) he just doesn't have the power to do that, which is fine. It's not his fault, but that also caps your ability to be a major league player unless you're like literally the best outfielder of all time. And he's a good one. He's a good outfielder. So. Mm I would like to see him run a little bit more. Yeah, I think he could. Given given that that's kind of the profile he's trending towards. Like, give me that strong Genesui Fargus energy, you know? Uh, and he has a fairly high success rate on his steal. Uh, he hit exactly 70% this year, so not super high. But that's, like, something you could build off of. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. also the minors where, like... It's never been easier to steal bases than ever before. That's true. What did they? Did they have any base stealing related rules at Double A this year? I don't remember what. I'm not sure if they reached up to Double A, but um, like Francisco Alvarez was stealing bases at Brooklyn fairly regularly. Yes, yes, like, of course. <laughs> oh, it was incredible. Some of the things that I had to write on on my uh, recaps, it would be like Alvarez hit a home run and had two steals, and I'm like, what the hell. <laughs> mm. I'm going back to watch the game. I'm like, oh, he was just standing. Like, he just got there, like, easy, too, with those rules. Yeah, and I I mean, we also, it's also just become a skill that's less emphasized in the age of catcher framing, right? Like, Mm -hmm. maybe 10, 15 years ago, if you were just getting run on at will, you weren't a catcher. Nowadays, if you're a good receiver, who the hell cares? And no one runs anyway in the majors. So, like, it's, it's, it's it's a both sides issue, like, I'm I'm shocked a team that like the Rays even or like the A's just don't kind of like try to exploit that and run more because teams don't do it. That's a that's an interesting point. And maybe it's just because the uh, margins are so thin. Yeah. Um, Be curious to see. Um, and of course, we might see this swing back the other way long term if, if catcher framing becomes uh, a thing of the past with automated balls and strikes. Yeah, I wonder what type of defenders you're going to get back there. Like, if we get robo-umps and mm-hmm. you don't have to frame anything. Like, are you just going to put, like, your worst defender back there to just, like, smother the baseball? Nelson Cruz catch Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not that far, but... Can you catch? <laughs> Can you literally catch a baseball? Okay. Get back there, kid. Well, on, on that note, actually, I don't know. I, I listened to the uh, PFF podcast to fill time while walking the dog. And one of the hosts is a former minor league player for charity. They were going to he was going to throw pitches to his co-host like they got <laughs> you're right. He was and the co-host was supposed to hit them. Right. And they, they knew he wasn't getting any hits. But then as a stretch goal, they're, they're like, well, you should get behind the plate and catch and catch. And yeah. the pitcher was immediately like, no, 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 no. I will hurt you. Yeah, you, you will not be able to catch even yeah. me soft tossing to you. Yeah, um, catching's hard. <laughs> the mo- the hardest I ever caught was a kid who threw mid eighties, and I was like, "This is insane! <laughs> I'm going to die." <laughs> and you you have to be back there framing it too. I don't it's I don't know how you do it. Like I don't understand how someone's framing a Jacob Degrom fastball on there. I would miss uh-huh. like trying to like move my hand there in time. It's insane. I mean, forget the Jacob Degrom fastball. How about like the Emmanuel Class A 102 mile oh, yeah. cutter, or or Gratterall and his like one oh, god sinker. <laughs> um, no thanks. 
Well, uh, that's a. I'm going to use this as an excuse to segue to the pitching side. So the final member of our first team that we should talk about a bit is Eric Orzi. Um, in a system that's really bereft of interesting relief talent, he's one of the the few names that's that mm-hmm. stood out this year. Um, performed pretty well, even in AAA. I was surprised he didn't get a look down the stretch. Um, as I cannot spell his name to pull up his Fangraphs page. Come on. Great content. Uh, struck out almost 12 per nine in AAA. He did walk a bunch, um, but ran a 2.19 ERA, a 3.52 FIP. His uh, AA and even uh, high A numbers were uh, uh, Valines-esque. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan at this point. He's going to get run next year. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Maybe he probably doesn't break, break camp with the Mets, but... He's going to be one of the guys he's they call up. He'll be in the churn fairly early, yeah. I think. And hopefully he sticks and just stays up. But you, the Mets need so many more optionable bullpen arms. They just – it gets so the bullpen gets so stagnant because they can't demote guys because, like, it's all familias and guys like that who are – you can't wave them, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, you look, at, you look at the best teams, it's – I mean, the Rays are obviously a special case with how yeah. they – treat their pitching staffs but the dodgers the giants uh i can't i don't actually know about the red sox as much but most of these top teams are built off a couple stalwarts at the back end but then a bunch of guys that they rotate in and out the white Sox, when like they're paying liam Hendricks, which was he's very good and but traded also, nick madrigal for Craig well that Kim, was a different which story was insane. Who, who was horrible too like yeah. uh Kimbrel was bad, but I mean it. Like when you are when you have those stalwart guys, you build around them with guys who you could bring up and down and move around and yep. really like because you really need like way more than the bullpen that allows you every game. You need more than those guys. You just you need guys to pitch for a month in July. You know, it's just you're gonna need guys like that, and the Mets desperately need them. They don't have really any of them. No, they have basically none. And I think too often, uh, and this is a good comment as we enter AAOP season, like we'll see or even make our own plans that pencil a couple of these guys, or not pencil, but pen a couple of these guys into the major league bullpen. And you don't want that, right? You want, maybe you want like four or five guys who are locks in the bullpen, but you want a group of eight to 10 guys behind that where on any given day you're okay with, I don't know, five or six of those 10 guys pitching a seventh inning for you. Yeah. Like building the bullpen through free agency is it's okay. But also like if Familia's bad next year and they give him a one year deal, like that's it. He's just there. Yep. He's there. Or you cut him like that. There's no, you can't do anything about it. You can't cycle him. You can't, if you need an extra arm for another double header, you can't send him down for a day. Like it's so it you get stuck and that's how you end up with a tired bullpen that gets gassed and they can't, they get hurt or they get run down, and then that's a different problem altogether. It's also just not possible to sign ten guys. Exactly. Sign it, here. Like you, unless you're signing really bad players, and then it doesn't matter that right. they, you know, like you could always sign ten bad pitchers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They'll sign here, but then it doesn't matter that you have them. So, so that's our first team. Which, ironically, I think if you stack this first team up against most other farm systems first teams, it would be very good. 
and then it falls off a fucking cliff just because yeah, that's what it, the Vets fire system is. And has been for years, too. Yeah. Um, we've talked about Sanger a good bit. Interesting backup catcher type, pop defense. I think we talked about him because he was an all-star as well mm-hmm. uh, last week. Um, does anyone want to talk about David Thompson? No, I don't. It's and- like you take one of these guys, one of these types, like every year. Uh, and you hope one of them turns out to be Alonzo in like a decade. Yeah. David Thompson was one of them who turned out not to be. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much all. That That's a very good like stop. You know, a coin flip chance he plays in the big leagues at some point. I don't know. But we've, we've talked about a lot about how we even enjoy a little bit that top heavy draft strategy. And if you're talking, if you're, we don't need to touch on the rocker issue again here. But if your draft strategy is top heavy and you want to snag an interesting college cornerback with one of those underslot picks, yeah, it's a good roll the dice. But also, that's how you get a thin system, and like that's how you get like when you uh, not to touch on the rocker thing, but they the system would have been way better if it was rocker and all these dudes. But now it's just all these dudes, and none of them are even on this mm-hmm. in this remote area you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like they just had an entire draft and like Beatty would have made this team last year like out of his draft year we would have Mm -hmm. put him on the second one and been like the future but none of those guys are here so one of them is oh yeah huh you're right one of them is but still that's one out of an entire draft yeah that's like 20 deep i think it was like come on yeah not great not great so yeah david thompson fine uh luke ritter Fell off towards the end of the year. He had so many home runs. <laughs> yeah, early, early in the season, he was absolutely dominating Brooklyn, and then he really fell off pretty hard. I don't think he even finished as the leader in home runs because he got injured. Yeah. Uh, I mean, good, good for him. Glad he had a good season. Hope he had fun hanging out in Brooklyn. Um, he's a 24-year-old in high A. Yeah. There's a reason why he hit those home runs, but good for him. Yeah. Um, Third base, Jalen Palmer. I want to believe. I want to believe so I bad. Will. I always will believe. I know. Where, I will. where are we all at on Jalen Palmer? Let me let me give you the stat line. There are 40 games in high A. He hit 189, 314, 336. Walked 15% of the time. Struck out 38.5% of the time. Four homers and seven steals. Um, the only thing I have to say is he's better than Sherman Newton, I think. He is. <laughs> better than the previous version of this this profile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is. I saw him once, and he just beat the ball into the ground like three times. The swing isn't yeah. great. And I was like, come on, damn. Like, I, he's a bigger dude than you would think. Just hit the ball in the air. Like, this is the Beatty issue. Like, Beatty does hit the ball in the air, even though he has a ground ball rate. You know? Like... The other side of it's there for me, and the other side of it wasn't really there for him this year. So he has time to figure it out, I think. But and he's going to be in our top twenty-five. But it feels like his. I mean, foot. I've been honest with people on this pod before. Like I'm, everyone else here has a much better scouting eye than I do, and I've been trying to learn more about this. And even with my relatively brief ability to brief history of evaluating swings, his just looks like he's intentionally shortening up 
limiting himself so that he can try to make contact and as a result is hitting everything into the ground mm-hmm. and also still isn't making contact yeah he's yeah he strikes out a lot and like i i see the mold of clay there with him and he's a good defender i think like i yeah. like his defense so like i see why you would get excited about him but also i'm a little of course i'm concerned because he didn't hit this year but you would like to see him hit i just think i, I maybe he has to change his swing and just go all out and just approach it differently next year but it can't be really worse yeah like this isn't cody bellinger changing changing a swing after winning an mvp award you know like this is a guy hitting like in the hundreds you could change your swing and figure it out like the dude's got huge long levers and i honestly i don't think the bat speed's bad just open it up and maybe you're still striking out 30 percent of the time but you're also probably mm-hmm. doubling your home run rate yeah hitting the ball more authority at all now he has been almost exclusively an outfielder since moving to Brooklyn. That might have just been due to some positional log jams. I don't know. They needed more outfielders than infielders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mauricio was at short. Uh, Rosa was at third. And he played some second, too. But Mm -hmm. he mostly played third at Brooklyn, I think. Like, they had guys to play the infield. They just did not really have an outfield. But that's, like, the Mets system, really. I feel like everyone they have is is an infielder. So it uh, that also helps, I think, that helps Palmer's, like, future development, too. Like, he has more of a chance to rise through the ranks of the Mets system as an outfielder than an infielder um, and get shots at the major league level. This is in the future now, but it's just so, it's still so thin. Like, Khalili is the, is the only hope <laughs> in the outfield right now. I'm sure, I'm sure Steve would hit us with an Obi-Wan quote oh, or a Princess Leia yeah. quote right here, you know? Mm-hmm. So our last infielder here uh, is the lone 2021 draft pick to appear on this uh, list, that being Kevin Kendall. Um, he was ridiculous, right? Yeah, so Kevin Kendall was their seventh-round pick uh, this past year after uh, an impressive showing uh, at UCLA in college. Um, he had 355, 409, 496 as their leadoff hitter. Uh, played a good enough shortstop that they moved Matt McLean around the infield or to the outfield, wherever Matt McLean played this past year. <laughs> um, he seated he his spot. Everywhere. Right. Uh, oh, excuse me. I have that backwards. He moved off short for Matt McLean because mm-hmm. Matt McLean was the better prospect. That also makes more sense. The tracks, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was like, wait, that doesn't make very much sense at all. Uh, good defender up the middle. Not a huge amount of power. Um but an underslot, interesting guy, and they sent him to St. Lucie. He is very clearly too good for St. Lucie. Uh, hit 327, 421, 451, 11% walk rate, 82% strikeout rate. Only one homer, which tracks eight steals. Eight steals is nice in a short yeah, tournament. Potential time. little utility infielder. I would like to see him face some appropriate competition. And he will next year. So we're going to find out pretty much as soon as next year starts in the minors mm-hmm. what he's about. But, I mean, you can't really debut much better than that. That puts you right on the – every day, I feel like every time I wrote about the Mets minor league system, it was him going like two for four. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he led off for them a lot too. And he was just like constantly getting on base for them. And it was one of those – he helped the lineup a lot. And that's always fun. And even if he's a utility guy, you need guys like that. Yeah, much like the back of the bullpen, having a, a bench that's optionable is great. And, you know, we'll we'll find out a lot about Kendall. Like, this sample isn't particularly meaningful. It's better that he was good than he was yes. bad. But 
we'll we'll see how he performs. Uh, I assume next year he'll start at Brooklyn. Oh yeah, right. He'd have to. Yeah, that's the only plus spot I could see making. Assuming Maurice, unless they stick Mauricio back there to start. Uh, I don't think they will. Probably send him to Binghamton or trade him. You know. I mean, maybe. Uh, so moving on to the outfield, we have one actual prospect and then um, two <laughs> dudes that needed because we need a full outfield. The actual prospect is Alex Ramirez, uh, DSL yeah. signing, looked overmatched when they pushed him uh, up to. He looked overmatched at times, let's put it that way. But his line on the season isn't even that bad for an 18-year-old in full season ball. 258, 326, 384 at St. Lucie. That's a 96 weighted. Uh, struck out 30% of the time, just over. Um, five homers and 16 steals in 334 plate appearances. Look, it's not a elite breakout performance, but as an 18-year-old who's getting yeah. your first state, state side, like, pretty good. Again, factoring in life stuff, too. Yeah. Um, 18-year-old kid in a new country and doesn't know the language, and you have to play the hardest sport in the world, like, day in and day out. That's a lot. And he was solid, like, solid enough to be, like, an average player, mm-hmm. which is, that's just, you hope he grows from there and is more comfortable next year and just the breakout comes. But he's definitely a circle name and look at for next year type guy. Yeah, this is the kind of profile that, I mean, the physical traits are there. He's 6'3", 170, right? Like, he gets a little muscles growth spurt and puts on 30 pounds or something. This could be a profile that blows up. It's also a profile that could disappear in two seconds. Just like every DSL kid ever? Yeah, basically. Basically. But he's not on a good track, let's put it that way. Um, It's a a good start, even if, like, 96 weighted isn't impressive off the page he's not doing a francisco dream lives for another year Uh uh-huh he's not doing a francisco alvarez things in uh yeah and uh, that's why francisco alvarez is top 20 whatever prospect he's probably a top seven eight prospect bp's gonna have him very very high and they should yeah so now the other two warm bodies in the outfield mason williams and Mark Payton. I already forgot his first name. I'm pretty sure it's Mark. Uh, Mason Williams at least had a fun major league moment for the Mets this year. Uh, he had like that big double against someone or other. I don't remember who. I think he did something against Baltimore. That sounds right. And also it was a fitting level of competition <laughs> for him to excel <laughs> against. Sorry, Allison. <laughs> um, so Williams was a minor league signing because they were desperate for bodies in the AAA outfield. Hit decently in AAA, 281, 336, 414. That's basically a league average bat. Look, I don't want to talk too much about Mason Williams. He's a non-prospect. He played 17 games for the Mets, and it felt like 40. Jeez, he played that many. How did we get that much Mason Williams and so little Janeshwi Fargus? Because they DF, he got hurt and they DFA'd him. Why did they DFA Fargus? <laughs> I could have put Fargus on this list instead. They massacred my boy. Well, look what they did to my boy. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's Mason Williams, and the other guy is Mark Payton, who's only a year younger at 29. Um, but he actually performed extremely well in AAA. He had 305, 385, 477. That's a 131 weighted. He had four homers, uh, two steals in 40 games. Good strikeout-to-walk ratio. 
that's a significantly better performance than he put up for the Reds this year at the same level. The Mets acquired him in August for cash considerations when they uh, were even in more desperate need of outfielders at AAA. Uh, got nothing, you know. Ironically, he's another former Yankee, just like Mason Williams. Um, but, you know, not a long-term fixture. No, he's probably a quad-A player, but hey, good for him. He was very good this year. Mm-hmm. Hope he got a performance bonus or something. I don't know. He got a, he got himself another job somewhere in professional baseball. He probably might get another job with the Mets. Cause Honestly, I wouldn't even be mad because nope. they def- they need guys to play the outfield in Syracuse. Bring back Fargus first. Um, <laughs> Cubs legend. Yes. So finally, on to the pitching. We've talked a lot about JT Ginn, I think. Um, I know we at times have found him underwhelming. At times have found it encouraging. I haven't. I didn't actually get to see him this year. I think you did, Ken, at some point. Uh, not live, but some video. Um, you know. Pretty good sinker. You wish there was a little more on it. Uh, good slider. Doesn't command it particularly well, but all of it's kind of meaningless uh, given that it's his first year back from injury. Mm-hmm. And also his pro debut. So, yep. Probably it, the thinking. Is he, do we have him ahead of or behind uh Allen in the system right now. Oh, behind. Behind, behind I think. Even yeah. with Allen's injury. We, we, I agree. We'll be playing this game all year. Um, but yeah, I think behind. It's just, I think Allen's ceiling is like, it's not that I don't think Ginn is good, like, and I don't think he's a future major leaguer. I think he will be. I just see more of like a mid to back end guy for Ginn, mm-hmm. like closer to David Peterson, like mm-hmm. maybe a little better. But yeah, Allen has I, much better stuff going yeah. into this, into surgery. Like, yeah. Allen was, like, a relief base for Brooklyn, like, immediately out of high school. Like, in their in their Penn League. Oh, Allen, Allen's curveball yeah, is better like, than anything Ginn has ever thrown. I think it might be the best pitch in the system. Like, yes. Allen's curveball. Like, and oh, if he comes back from surgery, fine. Then he's just going to be... He has, he has more top-of-the-rotation potential. Then Ginn and Ginn just I don't think gets that, but also Ginn could do that if he looks like he did at Mississippi State, right? Mississippi State. Um, if he comes back a year stronger from Tommy John, like that could come back. I don't disagree with either of you. I d- would have Allen decidedly above. Uh, yeah, I think even both of them healthy, Allen's better. Like he's just a better prospect. And that doesn't. That's not saying Ginn is a bad one. Oh, if if they're if they were both healthy, Allen, no question. Yeah, yeah exactly. If, I mean, with Allen still hurt, I. I think there I might agree. be an argument for Ginn since he's gotten back on the field, but I still would prefer Allen. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, and it'll be, I mean, like Ken said, difficult to take too much from this year since he looked middling is too harsh, but he didn't blow people, blow us away. Um, just important he stayed healthy and we'll see how he looks next year. The the stuff looked like a guy coming back from Tommy John. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Much like Syndergaard in this year, if we're going to talk about Major League stuff. Well, at least, at least Ginn was allowed to throw breaking balls. <laughs> and didn't pitch at the Major League level about it for some reason. But. Oh, God. The Mets. Um, and now, finally, after alluding to this, I don't know, 40 minutes ago or so, we get to Brian Matoyer. Yes. 
Matoyer, who might be third or fourth best relief pitching prospect in the system at this point, and that's not a great sign. Very what the problems are with the Mets organizationally right now is that, but I like him. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a, I'm a fan of his, and I want them to put him on. The, I want them to put him on the forty, even though like maybe there's other people that they could do that. I think the back of the forty is bad enough that he should be on it. And yep. it's going to annoy me when he's not because I'm pretty sure. Like if I had to guess right now, they wouldn't. And oh, it, the Rays are going to take him and turn yes. him into like a useful reliever. Immediately. I'm going to be so mad. When they when another team does it, because I know it's there. Like I, I don't know if it's irrational or not, but I I really believe there's something there with him. Tom is gonna mauled when this happens. I'm just gonna he's gonna be one of the dudes, and I'm just gonna be like, why? And it's mm-hmm. gonna be like it's literally Brian Matoyer. I'm be like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this could have been here. He could have been a useful sixth inning man. <laughs> yes, I mean I I don't disagree honestly. Um, real quick, his stat line in Brooklyn this year: 33 innings pitch, 2.18 ERA. 12 and a half strikeouts per nine, four ish walks per nine. Uh, had a brief cameo in Binghamton. Probably a guy that should have gotten promoted earlier than he did. Do we think? I mean, that's probably. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he was, they were a little uh, late on him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a fastball curve dude, right? Hmm. I recall correctly. I or does he throw a slider? I might be wrong. Or does he just. Or, See the one with the slurve? T- these guys all just blend together after a while, unfortunately. <laughs> there is a oh, breaking yeah. ball. Hmm? There is a breaking ball. A breaking ball, yes. Can confirm. Like most fastball breaking ball relievers, he has a breaking ball. But not all of them, as as we yeah. are aware. <laughs> so he's 24, still a, a realist prospect. He yeah, was real five eligible, curve, real five eligible this past season and went unselected. Which wasn't entirely surprising. He hadn't pitched b- above low A. Um, yeah. This year, I think there's a fairly real chance someone would take him uh, and try to hide him and the Met. But it's also difficult to imagine an organization more pitching desperate than the Mets. Uh, so I don't also they... a spin rate boy. Like, he's mm-hmm. one of those guys with his breaking. Yeah. So. yeah, you can quite easily imagine... The nerds pulling up a query of Rule Five picks and going to their GM saying, "Yeah, take this guy." Um, Especially if you're bad, who cares? Mm-hmm. Which I don't know why bad teams don't do that more. Just like kind of take interesting dudes, and if you return them, it doesn't really matter. Like, I mean, I quite liked what the uh, Pirates did this past Rule Five draft. Yeah, they did that. Uh, right? They got Soriano, the injured guy. So we'll see him next year. And then the guy they traded for uh, with the Mets, whose name I've already forgotten, Oviedo. Oh, yeah. Who would have been a very interesting pitcher in the Mets system. But yeah. <laughs> Sandy doesn't make Rule 5 picks except for uh, Brad Emis, however you pronounce his name. I forgot about that. He, he, he naps through the Rule 5. He's just right asleep. He's not asleep. He's waiting for a team to call and offer cash. <laughs> That's true. That's honestly true to go look up this name now because it's going to bother me fan graphs 2021 rule five draft come on yep i gave up <laughs> so yeah those are our first and second all organization teams uh that is the last bit of content we have prepped for today so i'll move on to the will pottery of the week anyone have some will pottery of the week 
I have one if no one else does. I oh. do not. Right. The obvious one for this week is uh, the whole John Gruden mess. <laughs> I'm shocked that didn't happen to the Wolf Hunt. That they're like, they have, they definitely said some crazy Those stuff. Those emails definitely exist. Yeah, they definitely did. It's not even that. in the freaking emails. They fired someone for, for being uh, a single mother. Well, yeah. Literally. Got away with it. If not for you meddling journalists. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, John Gruden's a piece of shit. Uh, Many emails demonstrating as such were leaked, uh, fittingly enough, as part of the investigation around the Washington football team. And he was summarily fired in very short order, which is just a, a, a very Wilponian series of events. Yeah. And it's like literally emails that are like very easily obtained mm-hmm. legally to like look into. Without, without like from his work email too, like from his work email, Mm -hmm. like at when he was at ESPN or whatever. Without glossing over the seriousness of this issue, and it's horrible that the many players of color and the uh, one openly homosexual player that he's currently coaching had to deal with this situation, like things they should never have had to deal with. But it was impressive how he ticked every possible box of being a shit person yeah he got the racist box the homophobia box he he hates everyone it was it was like wow dude i i i don't understand these sorts of people it truly just it, it it boggles the mind as it should it should be beyond explanation honestly yeah, and before just, anyone pulls up the, it was ten years ago. The dude was what fifty or whatever at the time, like, like forty-eight. Okay, he should know that that's who he is. Like when you're saying that stuff in, in your forties, but like it's just it somehow isn't surprising, and also was like, damn, like he, reading it was wild. Like mm-hmm. there was a lot of rough ones, and his like apologies were really bad, and like as they always are, and. Then he stepped down, and the Raiders were like, okay, he's gone now, and that's it. And then right after, like literally today or yesterday, the NFL was like, yeah, there was nothing else in them, in the emails. That was it. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh-huh. everyone was like, okay, I'm sure. I'm sure that he was the only person you found stuff on. Tomorrow they're going to announce they've got a bridge to sell us. Yeah, right. Uh, brief, brief aside to mention that his son remains employed by the Raiders, and his son's name is Deuce. And Not a nickname. A- his name is Deuce. And he is a weightlifter, I believe. He's like five a five foot six strength and conditioning coach. And he kind of looks like him too. So like Yeah. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. A lot lot to unpack that we are not equipped to do. And we're also at our usual hour time point, so probably time to wrap things up. Uh so thanks to everyone for listening. Uh I'm gonna mess up this outro because it's not Steve. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email the show at fromcomplex2queens at gmail.com. I also encourage you to follow us on Twitter. Steve is at Steve Saipa. I am at lvlahos343. Ken is at KenLavin91. There's the butchering. And yeah. Thomas is at Sad Met Season. Thomas, when are you going to get a grown-up handle? Um, Never. <laughs>
when the Mets don't make you sad anymore? Oh, uh, well, they always will. So, so never. Great. Perfect. Yeah, never. Because uh, it, they had the potential to make me not sad. And then they had this season that they had, which was mm-hmm. one of the sadder in recent memories somehow. <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, we encourage you to rate and review the podcast. Um, and until next week, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Love the Mets.